This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. We have a very exciting, fun, and really intriguing show coming up. We're going to talk to uh, uh, Dr. Karen Vine about her latest book, The Other Family Doctor. That's a book about a, a veterinarian which is Kieran, and she explores what animals can teach us about love, life, and mortality. So I'm really interested to see all those angles. I know about the love and life part, so I want to pick her brain a little bit more about the mortality part of it. Then we'll also talk to her about the putting, uh, putting together the book, how it was, the, the, the strifes and the accolades, and all the wonderful stuff we know in writing and publishing a book. So everybody, hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life. And that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Introducing the author of her first book, at least the first book of uh, nonfiction, Dr. Karen Fine, and her latest book, The Other Family Doctor. Dr. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And, and congratulations on a, a fantastic read and very interesting, intriguing, and as we were talking off air, you're uh, being able to take care of all types of animals. So we're going to pick your brain a little bit on that as well. Yeah, thank you. So the book's called The Other Family Doctor. A veterinarian explores what animals can teach us about love, life, and mortality. So tell us a little bit about the book and, and how it really all came about and what the epiphany was to uh, put all of your wonderful experiences over the past 25 years of uh, into this particular book. Yeah, you know, I had actually really thought about it for a long time, years and years. I thought maybe one day I'll write a book and I will explore a little bit more about euthanasia because it's something that people don't really talk about very much, even among veterinarians. And it's not like that's the whole book, but I did want to kind of open up this topic a little bit that people don't really talk about that much and make it maybe a little bit less scary for people. No one wants to sort of think about losing their pet or euthanasia. But unfortunately, if you love an animal, unless it's a tortoise or a parrot, odds are you're going to be faced with their loss someday. So I, I thought, you know, by going through not just some of my own personal losses, but also what it's like to be as a uh, work as a veterinarian, I wanted to talk about that. And I also wanted to talk about how I feel that animals are not afraid of death. So I've seen many animals on the brink of death and I've euthanized many animals and I don't sense 
fear from them. I think they have this mind-body connection where they recognize that their body is breaking down. And much like an animal will understand if they're pregnant and that it's time to give birth, this is what your body needs to do. They kind of get those messages from their body. I think dying is a very similar process for them. Whereas with people, we tend to think about it ahead of time quite a bit. And I think not that animals can't be in denial, but I think there's maybe less of that than than with people. They don't think about it beforehand, but when it's happening, I feel like they they seem to accept it. And I feel like there's a lot we can learn from from animals. Yeah, you know, and, and I thought that part of it was fascinating. I mean, the book as a whole is fascinating. It gives you, you know, huge insight and also a little bit different take and, and thought on uh, how animals may be going through the process themselves. And and I've always told clients that I firmly believe, you know, that animals are in tune with their bodies. They understand their bodies. They, I think, they actually have a better uh, uh, connection with their bodies in the fact that they know it's a, a vehicle or a vessel to fulfill their purpose. And when it's time to let go, either from, you know, physically let go or move on, they do that a little bit more grace and a little bit more ease where us humans, you know, we hang on to our bodies like this body is us. And so mm-hmm. we hang on to the very last minute. What's your your thoughts on that? I completely agree with that. And I, I think, you know, we're kind of in our heads a lot. And I think animals, I have observed, and and this is not something you can really quantify and measure, but I feel like I've seen animals who don't want to leave their people. But I also don't think they're thinking ahead of like, oh, I'm going to miss this event or that event or what happens to this. And maybe we look at it more from a control perspective. You know, if we don't have control or the illusion of control, maybe, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting things to explore about why I think animals um, may handle this better. I think we could learn a lot from them. Um, and then another thing about why I wanted to write about it was I I see a lot of human suffering and I wanted to kind of address that about, you know, around some of these issues. And I, I feel like also people feel a lot of guilt after their animal dies. And I think there, you know, there's a lot of, oh, I could have, should have done this or that or the other thing. Um, whereas the animals I think are just really, you know, like you said, they're in tune with their body. And they understand, you know, maybe they don't have this, you know, like an identity that the body is their identity or, or something like that. You, you said it a little better than that, but I, I like what you said. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, I think, a, you know, a human characteristic is our, our ego. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that necessarily in the, in the negative sense as we think of ego, but it's true. We think of ourselves as, as this meat suit <laughs> that we carry mm-hmm. around all the time. Right. And, and I think animals come into this with a better uh, perception. Uh, of uh, who they are and what they are from both a, uh, a spiritual uh, standpoint as well as just uh, you know being on purpose for why they're here. And so I think it's a little bit easier for them to let go. But let me ask you from a veterinarian standpoint, you know, I, I work also with clients uh, uh, on sort of the grief counseling when, when an animal is going to make their transition or has made their transition, going through the things that you had just mentioned, you know, the, the grief, uh, did I do it too soon? Did I do it too late? Did I do it the right way? You know, all the things we beat ourselves up for. How do you handle that as a veterinarian? Because obviously I've, I've had many, 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 many animals, and unfortunately they do leave us too soon, like you said. And a veterinarian's role is to help with that transition, but then a lot of times you won't see your veterinarian for until the next animal you have to bring in. 
how do you deal with that from a veterinarian standpoint in knowing that your client is probably going to go through these same doubts and questions and perhaps you won't get a chance to help them through that or ease them through that? A lot of people do talk about it as they're making a decision or as the death is approaching. And each one is really an individual thing in terms of making a decision. You know, So what may be right for one animal is not right for another one or, or for that person and their situation. And sometimes their financial situation you know, has to come into play. Um, so I really try to talk people through it. Um, like you said, because I know I'm not going to see them after. And when I have seen people after, or they come in with another animal, you know, they say things. And what really breaks my heart sometimes is they have this narrative of, I did the wrong thing with my previous animal or my other animal. And I just, that just breaks my heart because usually that's not my opinion. And I think the people that tend to worry and obsess over it are not the people who tend to be, you know, sort of doing doing the wrong thing. We make the best decisions we can with the information that we have at the time. So I try to talk to people in advance and especially knowing, you know, from just from experience how people tend to be and how I've been myself. I try to reassure people you know, this, this is the right thing. And a, a lot of times there's a spectrum where it's except, you know, I would say acceptable and say many vets would say acceptable. You could make the decision today, two days ago, two days from now, and that would all be right in terms of what's acceptable from a veterinary standpoint is this animal suffering. So for some animals, it's just, it's got to be, that's it. You know, you've got to make the call. It's, there's treatment or euthanasia or sometimes just euthanasia. But for many animals, there's, okay, they're failing, but it's sort of a slow decline. You know, when do you make the decision? Um, so I try to help people with that and to feel like, you know, that I really want them to be okay with that decision because I don't want them thinking, oh, well, you know, I did the wrong thing. Because I feel that that really becomes a, a negative narrative that people carry with them and that it's just doesn't really do anybody any good. No, I think it's a very good point. And, and one of the things that as you're, you were talking about that, I was just thinking through, you know, having a... Uh a lifetime of animals that I've been blessed with, that I've been their human companion, and hopefully I'll have even a further lifetime with more and more animals. I'll, I'll keep it that way. But from a professional standpoint, how have you seen the whole, I guess process is not the word I want to use, but how do you see things have changed? Because obviously I know 25 years ago uh, when I had animals, I know there's a lot more advancements and things and a lot more knowledge and a lot more that goes into helping the animal transition. But I've learned a lot over the years, but how do you see that that changing maybe to how human companions handled this process 20 years ago compared to how it's handled today? Or is it exactly the same? Or is it even harder? Are we more sensitive to our animals nowadays? I think we probably are more sensitive. I think even though um, it's still what I would call a disenfranchised grief, which means a grief that's not always recognized, it's more common for people to feel more connected and there are more things we can do. And even though some of those things were available 25 years ago, if I suggested, say, someone would take their, say, cat to a specialist to have an ultrasound of their heart, maybe 25 years ago, that was a lot less common. Whereas now, we actually have a specialist come in where I work uh, once a week because we have so much call for it. And, you know, certainly not everybody does it. And it's, you know, it's pricey. It's about $500. 
Um, and that can vary depending on your geographic region and whether it's someone coming to the clinic or you're going to the specialist or whatever. But, you know, it's several hundred dollars, but I think people are more likely to do it. They're not just, well, it's just a cat. You know, I, I rarely hear that now. And I would say, you know, I did sort of hear more of that, you know, 25 years ago, or even if at the time it was, you know, say 300 or $400, well, you know, I, I'm not going to spend that kind of money on a cat, you know, whereas now I think it's more, people are more okay with that, you know, their animals have value to them. And I, I find that I talk about this in the book a little bit too, that it's, I don't think it's how much money someone has, you have to have some disposable income to be able to spend it on your animal's health. But, you know, many people spend their disposable income on other expensive things like cars or phones or, you know, tech or a trip to the casino or, you know, vacation, whatever it is. But some people, I think, feel judged if they're spending it on on an animal. So I think that, I think that has improved. Yeah, unless you're like uh, this family, which uh, I think we own half of a wing to our veterinarian's practice. So, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> which is fine by me. Which is fine by me. We, if we see a hangnail on our pets, we're they're going in. So, uh. <laughs> right, and I think that's more common, and it's also gotten more common since COVID, where I think a lot of people were home with their animals, and you know, sort of recognizing that their animals, are, you know, are a very important support system in their lives. You know, I think we saw a lot more of of those kinds of visits, you know, people worrying. And there's this thing called anticipatory grief where you worry about losing, you know, what, you know, whether it's animal or person, you worry about losing them ahead of time. And I feel like that's um, maybe become more common. It's something I've, you know, seen, I feel like I notice that more, you know, just thinking about losing your animal can bring you to tears. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when putting together all this uh, wealth of knowledge and background and everything that you've gone through and you were saying, you know, you always wanted to write the book. Now you've written the book. Um, how did you sort through all that process? How did you decide, okay, what kind of uh, message do I want to give uh, based on all these years of experience? I really wanted to give sort of a comforting, reassuring message. And I decided to to do it as a memoir because I felt that I wanted to share my own experience and I have had some readers come back to me and say, okay, knowing that a veterinarian felt this way with her dog was a help to me. And that's what I wanted to accomplish. So I had a dog about 20 years ago who got a very aggressive cancer at the age of four and I was just devastated. And she was, it was like about six months after she was the dog of honor in my wedding. And my husband and I just started home cooking for her and, you know, we would have done anything for her. And um, it was a, you know, it was a very difficult emotional experience and the dog was fine. Her name was Rana and which is short for prana, which is like life force energy in uh, Sanskrit. And she, yes. um, she was just happy every minute of every day. And I was especially right after her diagnosis, I was miserable, but she was a real teacher for me. And she lived so well and so happily with her cancer, even though it grew and grew and grew, she outlived her prognosis many times over. So that was really a wonderful thing to, to see. And she really taught me a lot. Years after her death, I got cancer and I was treated with chemo and I'm, I'm fine now, but I had surgery, I had chemo, I had radiation, I had breast cancer. And I really thought, you know, I wanted to think about it. I wanted to take those lessons from my dog that she was just kind of in the moment and it wasn't, she wasn't going, 
I have cancer. (laughs) Give me more treats, please. (laughs) Right, right. Although I did kind of, you know, at one point my husband was like, you know, she had a problem where she leaked urine and it did end up responding to a certain medication. But, you know, he was like, she's going to leak. She's on the sofa. And I would say she has cancer, (laughs) which I was just joking, you know, at that, at that point. But yeah, I think with people, we tend to, you know, say, say you're nauseous and you're nauseous from, you know, and I speak from experience, say you're nauseous from having chemo. That's very different from being nauseous from like when I was pregnant, you know, it's a different, you know, and the feeling may be similar, but I think how we react to it, you know, you're like, oh my goodness, nausea from chemo. It's, it's just much more, I found that um, the work for me going through chemo was much more mental than I had expected. You know, it was sort of, you know, thinking about things and say, and sort of thinking, okay, I'm not going to obsess about this particular aspect. And I really learned a lot about that from my dog and from a lot of my patients who I've seen go through chemo and do really well. I love that, you know, and your pup was there to teach was that, you know, that's part of the purpose for being there to get you through a certain part of your life, but also uh, through the marriage, et cetera. And uh, then to uh, help you heal and help you teach and how, and you learn from that. And I think that that's what we need to do. You know, we need to stop and, and look and listen at, to our animals because they're going to uh, provide us a lot of information that we need. They're going to be teachers. They're going to be healers. They're going to be, you know, uh, whatever their purpose is. And so I love the fact that uh, your pup was a, a teacher. You went through a process. You came out of it healthy. Congratulations. And now you can pass that message on to other people so they can learn. Thank you. Yeah, I really feel that they, it's just amazing how they go through illness um, that they don't have all these thoughts that that we tend to have. And I think in many ways they're they're better for it. And it's, you know, it's a, a mindfulness thing and animals are just so natural. I feel like they're mindfulness teachers. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I loved in your bio that uh, uh, you uh, had uh, graduated from uh, UMass Medical School's uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction course. And I had to look that up. I thought, wow, that's great, because I love any university that's teaching things that are sort of out what we some people view as outside the box, what I view as my normal life. You know, <laughs> I right. try to live a mindfulness life. And uh, the fact that you could... Uh, uh, learn from that and uh, pass that on as well. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a great program. And I actually did it when I was um, having chemo because my oncologist didn't want me to work. So it was a great it was a great way to kind of focus on that and try to try to be in the moment at a at a difficult time. And um, I think, boy, I, you know, the another really difficult time I talk about in the book is when my dog, especially first had cancer, and it was really hard for me, because I just kept thinking about losing her, but there she was right there in front of me. So I really had to kind of wrap my mind around that and try to appreciate each day with her. But it was a struggle, especially at first. Yes, well, fantastic that, that you came through that fine, and your your brilliant furry teacher was there uh, to help uh, lead the message in your uh, your challenges as well. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back and talk to uh, Dr. Karen Fine a little bit more about her book, The Other Family Doctor, and uh, learn a little bit more about the writing process, uh, being the first uh, trade audience, first book out there that, she, that Dr. Karen has done. I want to pick her brain about the whole writing process as well. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. 
take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with Dr. Karen Fine and now author and veterinarian extraordinaire, Dr. Karen Fine. We'll put it that way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, Dr. Karen, the book, The Other Family Doctor, now you mentioned that uh, you thought about putting together a book. You had these great ideas. You chose a sort of a topic, blended in your own memoir, your own background and everything to that. It sounds so easy. Tell us a little bit about the, about, about the, you've already got the stories. You've already got the 25 years of experience, a lifetime of experience. Uh, that's, that, you, should, you should be able to get that down in about a week or two, right? <laughs> it probably took about six to eight months. And a lot of it did ended up being changed as I went through this iteration and, you know, kind of re-edited that sort of thing. But I did have a a kind of a structure in my head. And once I started writing, it sort of came out of me like a hairball. (laughs) I found I really had a a lot of things to say. And one of the things I had done, which if you're writing, if you're writing nonfiction, it's kind of important to do is I looked at what was already out there, had other people written about this topic. And I found that not a lot of veterinarians maybe had mentioned euthanasia a little bit, and not that the whole book is about euthanasia, but had sort of touched on these topics, but not really gone into the depth that I wanted to go to. And also, you know, it's a little bit more recent. So um, another thing that's in the book is about how veterinarians have a higher risk of suicide than the general population. I wanted to do a little bit of of the secret lives of veterinarians and, you know, to show that for for one thing that, you know, it is a, a stressful profession, but also there's some great, you know, funny stories and all of these things. And I think people like that behind the scenes look, but I found that there really wasn't a book that was similar to what I was thinking of writing. So that was a little exciting because sometimes you think, oh, I wonder if there's a book about this and you look it up and there's 10. (laughs) Yes, yes. Certainly everyone has their own, especially with memoir. Everyone has their own story. But to find that, you know, someone hadn't really written about this, you know, sort of this angle was um, exciting to me. So I kind of let myself go. And then, um, you know, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I did have to take a a couple of stories out because I think they were just sad. And part of me wanted to show that aspect, but I think I did need to kind of pick and choose. And then from going to veterinary school, I really learned how to do research. So I found that I really had to do a lot of research about the publishing industry because you can't just go and say, oh, well, I'm a veterinarian and I, you know, I've, I've written a, a book um, right. to, yeah, to get published by, uh, by a 
large publisher, you need an agent. So it took me several years to find an agent. And that was quite a, a learning process, which I think was good. And I think to some extent, the publishing industry wants to know that you're serious about it. It's not just a little hobby for you. I think that's kind of where some of this comes from, that there's a real structure around finding an agent and getting traditionally published. So I was very lucky and I got a wonderful agent and then my book ended up selling to Penguin Random House. So I definitely worked hard, but I was also very fortunate and I have a wonderful editor. I had a wonderful editor for the book. So it was really, really like a dream come true. That's fantastic. Well, that process seems a, a little uh, shorter than some go through. So it seems like it was in the stars for you to, uh, to be able to put together this, uh, this wonderful book. Yeah, I want to say it might have been maybe six years from when I thought about, you know, okay, I'm going to start writing from when I started to publication. And relatively speaking, yes, some people take um, much longer. And I think some people take longer to write it. But I think it might be because I did house calls for 25 years. A lot of this stuff was percolating in my mind. And it might have been when I was driving from one person's home to another that I was kind of thinking about things. And I hadn't written, I wish I'd written more down. I hadn't written as much down as I would have liked. But once I started, there were some stories that I, I had in my head or maybe I had told to people that I found I could write down. And then the hardest part really was not the writing, was the structure structuring of, you know, where do you put this story and how do you link this with this? I had the structure about my dog, my own dog, but I wanted to, you know, I really wanted it to be helpful to people and not, you know, just like a sad book or something like that. So, you know, structuring it and I really wanted to make it heartwarming, but also realistic because if you love animals, this is something that you have to deal with. And I wanted to help people with that. Yeah, and, and, and big kudos for, for many reasons on the book. You know, I think he did a great job of making it personable, giving a little bit of a, I'll say, a scientific approach slash veterinarian, you know, approach to it and just tying it all together. Because what I found through the years is, as you mentioned, there's not a, a lot. It's getting more and more, but there's not a lot of books out there on pet loss and how to deal with that, especially from a, a veterinarian euthanization standpoint. And what I tend to find, this is just my insight uh, from doing this for quite a while, is the books tend to be one or the other. They're very they're very scientific approach and perhaps a little colder than what uh, I would like, uh, mm -hmm. or they're uh, more on a spiritual realm, telling stories of, of the various animals, but not really getting into what a veterinarian has to go through. So I think he did a great job of tying those things together. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, I was listening to one of your shows and you had Rita Mae Brown on. Um, and she, I've read so many of her books. She's really one of my heroes. And I love her, her series, her mystery series. And um, yeah, she's, she's such a great writer. But I think also all the books I've read over the years also, you know, taught me so much about writing and about what sounds right and about how to, how to approach things. Well, if you know Rita May and you and you know we love her here, so uh, <laughs> she is one of the most brilliant ones, and and obviously the one of the funnest persons, one of my good friends. So that's uh, big kudos. I noticed a lot of folks that endorsed the book are uh, friends of mine and friends of the show. So everybody from uh, Dr. Marty Becker to to Cy Montgomery and all the rest of the group. Uh, so oh yeah, Cy Montgomery is great too. She's she's one of my heroes, and she and Marty Becker endorsed you know endorsed my book as well. Yeah, but yeah, Rita Mae Brown, she's just, I remember opening one of her books and reading, 
she just wrote about somebody walking down the street and it was one of the best sort of way to say that somebody walked down the street I had ever heard. Um, <laughs> she's very talented. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you one of the other things I love about your book, uh, The Other Family Doctor, is the resource section. Uh, in the the back of the book, you know, you've got various resources in here of uh, items to read, articles to read, uh, books for adults on pet loss, books for children on pet loss. You know, it, it really gives some people some insight that, uh, you know, I found through the years that most people feel like they're on an island, even though the yeah. logically, you know, I think they think, well, everybody's gone through pet loss. If they've had a pet, they've had to, to help their animal transition. Um, but they almost seem like they're on an island. And with some of these resources and, and through your help and efforts, it helps people know that we're all in, the, all in this together. And that I also really wanted to normalize these bonds that we have with animals and show that there are many, many people who grieve really deeply over the loss of an animal and that it's it can be such a deep bond. And it's very common for people to say to me as a veterinarian, this loss was harder to me for me than a family member, a human family member. But I think other people don't know that. And I'm fortunate as a veterinarian, you know, most people in my life are pretty diehard animal lovers and the people that aren't understand that I'm a veterinarian. So I have good support, but a lot of people don't. And, you know, I wanted them to understand how common it is that you, you know, you, you have these deep, deep feelings. And even though they're not necessarily supported in our society, like you can't, you know, call up your workplace and say, well, my my animal is, you know, is about to die and I needed some time off of work. <laughs> you know, that that most likely won't be treated well. It depends certainly on your workplace and absolutely you know, your boss and everything. But whereas if it was a family member, even if it was someone you had a, a complicated and not entirely positive relationship with, that would be different. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I think when I mentioned earlier about what has changed, let's say over the past 25 years, that culture in business society seems to be shifting as well, at least a little bit. You know, I find there are veterinarian insurances that now mm -hmm. you can have if you're with mm -hmm. a business, you know, uh, uh, my, my wife's work, uh, you know, her offices, they offer veterinarian insurance. Uh, we've had it for years, but it's nice. That's it's part wonderful. of the package. Yeah. And whenever we've had an animal that that's sick or injured or something of that sort, they've been open. They're like, you know, you take whatever time you want off. But I do understand there are, there are other work practices and especially going back in the earlier years that that you wouldn't even think about bringing that up because yeah it's right you grab your pink slip as you head out the door <laughs> <laughs> so, right, right yeah so i'm hopeful that we we continue on our path our mindfulness path and realize our, our animal continue to realize more and more how important our animals are in our life and the teachings and lessons that they have and how much they are uh, a family member right right absolutely and i think Part of it too is our daily routines and revolve around our animals and then when your animal isn't there your whole routine i mean and not just the you know there's the huge love and companionship and support we get from them but your whole life is disrupted because you know you think about them multiple times a day you do you're you know you're doing all these things and they've kind of woven themselves into your life and you've woven yourself into their life so that it's a very difficult separation to to pry that apart 
So the message is, you've got the book completed. It's out there. Everybody go out and pick up a copy of The Other Family Doctor. What do you hope that people gain from this? Is there a centralized message you're hoping to, that they gain once they read through the book? Yeah, I think I would hope that people uh, realize that they're not alone in having these really deep, profound relationships and connections with their animal, that they're not on an island, that, of course, nobody's relationship is going to be exactly the same, um, but that many people feel as deeply as as they do, as especially if they're going through something with their animal with an illness or at the end of their life, that they're not alone. Very good. Very good. And that message comes through loud and clear uh, in the book. So everybody pick up a copy of the book. Uh, it's uh, The Other Family Doctor, a veterinarian explores what animals can teach us about love, life, and mortality. It's by author and Dr. Karen Fine, DVM. Dr. Karen, thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Congratulations on the book. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, post all this and look forward to seeing your, your next book. Let's not make it 25 years <laughs> next time. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas, uh, or people you want to hear from on the show, uh, drop us a line. You can find us at PetLifeRadio.com. And while you're there, listen to all the other wonderful hosts and shows. It's a cornucopia of fun, fun entertainment, and it's all about animals. So you got to love it. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.